Warning. You're about to hear unfiltered insights about regenerative agriculture and our sovereign right to natural food. This is not just a podcast, but a patriotic movement against the tide of food ignorance and corporate food giants shaping our modern food system. It's time to feed the people. Oh boy. Uh, in the words of Brooke Entz, who is not here currently, another day, another dollar. Another day, another dollar. Another skunk holla. That's right. Oh boy. We this love those guys. Love them. Love Nate Dog. Thank you, Nate Dog. Thanks, Nate Dog. Shout early shout out to Nate Dog. Absolutely. Who is uh one of the producers of the Feed the People podcast. I am your producer, Mr. Brooks Meadows, and I'm with AJ. Welcome, AJ, to the show. Let me uh Yeah. Welcome you with a proper round of applause. Good to be back this week, Brooks. It's good to be back. Um, quick little reminder, AJ is, he, he just started the show in the tinfoil hat, AJ. This is just going to be how it is, bro. So we welcome him to the show. That's Thank right. goodness, because I get the feeling we're going to be getting into some territory here that will, uh, uh, that, that the tinfoil hat may be of, of good use. So yeah. I'm excited because uh, today AJ is sitting down blind, ladies and gentlemen. He yeah. actually doesn't know what we're going to be doing today. Nope. And so uh, I'm going to be giving him some food for thought. And I'm All pretty right. sure that's what we're going to name this episode is food for thought. I'm on a mission to find as many uh, puns or analogies to food and ranching as I possibly can for show intros. And so yes. today we're going to do some food for thought. Before Perfect. we start, how you doing? Dude, I'm doing so good, man. Christmas was awesome. New Year's was awesome. Uh, we did a show between Christmas and New Year's, so that'll come out uh, Monday, right? That That's show. accurate. Yeah. So we still kept rocking and rolling during the holidays, but man, it was great. We were down to Phoenix for a week. That's where my wife's family lives. Shot down to Tucson for a night to hang out with a buddy of mine. And then uh, spent New Year's back home in Utah. And now I'm back here at Utah Beat Producers, cranking away. Super excited to see the progress. I was gone for a week. These guys these guys here are so damn good. When I say these guys, I'm talking about the construction crew. So Henry has uh, – uh, Henry Barlow, for those that don't know, is the owner of Utah Beef Producers, building this uh, USDA meat facility in Richfield, Utah. If you heard our other shows, you've heard about who he is and what's going on. And they're a so treasure I, donor. Treasure donor. Yeah, shout out. You, Utah Beef. Donor, yep. you know, hey, let's go ahead and give him a shout out. Yeah, this is our show. We, exactly. can, we can do the producer shout outs whenever we want. Yeah. So this is our this is our logo, Utah Beef Producers. Anyway, his crew. So he's got a construction company in Salt Lake. The guy sold one of his ranches. He's got a couple of other smaller farms, but sold one of his ranches so that he could afford to build a slaughterhouse because our country needed it. That's why he did it. No other reason. He doesn't have like a ton of cattle that he needed one for himself. It's because a higher power called him to get involved and to step into something that he knows nothing about but knew was needed. So Solar Ranch started building this facility. It's just under 40,000 square feet. We'll be able to process 150 head of beef a day. That means we're feeding about 120,000 families 
a day through this facility is what we have the capacity to do. Anyway, he's got two primary builders that have been on this project for a little over a year and then a crew of less than 10. And you and I have talked that we're going to do a show when it gets open so we can have you on site and do a proper introduction of what, what's been accomplished here. I leave for a week and I come back and there's like so much new stuff they've gotten done. It's, it's impressive. So Love we're hoping to be open by end of March. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's going to, so cool. that's even coinciding with the launcher from the farm timing wise. Dude. And here's the thing is like this, uh, there's no coincidences. I believe divinity is heavily involved. I mean, if you're listening to the show, it's because we probably resonate with you and there's a lot of shit happening in our country and there's a lot of evil shit happening around the world. Um, Which we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that on the show, yeah, thankfully. Yeah, good. Perfect. So anyway, uh, the fact that they launch the same time our software launches is, is uh, what I was hoping to find. I thought that was going to be my position in Cody, Wyoming at the Wyoming Legacy Meets facility when I was there. Um, because when we launch the app, we need to be able to make sure as people are finding it that they have somewhere to buy from while we're onboarding ranchers around the nation. Cause that's actually going to be the most difficult or challenging part of making this work is wherever you're listening from connecting with your local producers so that you can find them on the app. Well, this facility in the meantime, gives me the ability, like let's say you're in Texas or California or even in Florida, if you need to be, uh, or, you know, if you need us to send to you, we can, so we can send you really nutrition, uh, uh, nutrient dense meat that I can give you all the details of where it came from. So there's a full traceability right back to the family that raised it, even if I haven't yet been able to connect you with somebody close to you. So the synergy here, this plant is going to be fantastic. I'm really excited. Same, same here. And I actually had a moment uh, recently. I was talking to my farmer. Um, about uh processing chickens and he mm. said you know we asked him if he if he you know because he has um pasture raised uh beef he has lamb he has forest raised pork and he has chicken eggs but we noticed that he didn't sell any chickens so we were okay. like oh you know what, what's going on with that and he said you know uh it's because the closest processor to us is in kentucky and i was How like far is that? i mean several hours like okay. several, several hours. And depending on how far east we have to go, we're in the southwest corner of the state, Memphis. Uh, we're in Tennessee. Memphis is the southwest corner. So it's several miles north to hit Kentucky and then likely several miles east and north to get to Kentucky, which if you're a small farmer, is a real long way to get some chickens processed. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, oh, there's clearly a shortage of chicken processors if yeah. you have to go to Kentucky. And I was just like, damn it, am I going to have to raise money to create a chicken processor? And I Dude. learned, I learned, I mean, it literally might happen. I was like, well, I mean, you know, I know people who are doing this, so I know nothing about it. I know people that can mentor me through the process, but I legitimately thought there's a market here. Yeah. And there's a market to fill. And he made a comment that I noticed, but didn't inquire too much about at the time. Cause it's, you know, we're doing an exchange and he's got other customers to help, but he said, you know, it was a, it has to do with Purdue and how mm -hmm. Purdue made some moves to get a lot of the processing facilities either shut down or centralized. Oh dude, that's yeah. So I was like, we're right back where we started. You know, it's yeah. like, this is, this is what AJ's talking about with the big four. It's just like, 
pick the species, you'll find the same players in that same space or or similar players doing the same thing in that space. Yes. Like our our lamb, for example, 75% of the lamb sold in the United States, 75% is now foreign. Man. Foreign, like mm-hmm. doesn't even grow, doesn't, isn't even raised here. Right. And mm. so they're kind of like the canary in the coal mine for the beef industry. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's smart, man. I think, I think, uh, if I was to advise you on that, I would say build a plant big enough for your own chicken raising opportunity mm-hmm. and have that be the focus. And then whatever you aren't filling with your own chickens, cause that's the thing with this plant here. Small USDA processing facilities in general, they the 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 industry has changed. It used to be the old man that was the owner of the place was also the one cutting the meat. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work that way anymore. Most slaughterhouses are owned by people that don't want to cut the beef. Yeah. So there's a revenue and uh, you know cost cogs and 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 income uh, uh, breakdown. It's not matching, right? So like what, what, what our strategy at this facility at Utah beef producers is that we need to build our own brand that we can send to people's homes because there's more margin for us, which is, it's a really expensive to run a slaughterhouse. There's more margin for us. And because there are no middlemen, we are the middleman, but the slaughterhouse will always be the necessary middleman. Well, we have now removed the marketers, the distributors, the fulfillers, the people in between transporting. We work directly with the rancher who doesn't have time to build a label and ship it to you. And there's a lot of, there's more of them than there are people who want to sell direct, by the way. I believe it. So we work directly with them. We either buy their cattle or partner on a, on an outflow, slaughter the animal, put the label on, let you know which ranch it came from. You won't, you know, they don't have a website because they don't want to deal with that, but we'll let you know where it came from and a bio about the family and send it right to you. Now the rancher makes more, the slaughterhouse stays profitable, uh, which we've discussed is uh, an issue in the country as well. So when you do chickens, I would suggest the same thing. Uh, you, we had Jim on the show. Uh-huh. Chickens are going to be a major part of our land regeneration project in Burl. And it's the same issue. So like, I don't know what it is across the nation, but like in Utah, I can only, I can only slaughter a thousand chickens a year being before I have to have special licensing or go to the next step. The next step is between 1,001 to 25,000. You now have to have a brick and mortar facility or something like that, a slaughter facility to do up to that volume. And you can do that volume without having to be USDA with chickens from my recollection. I might be wrong there. But then when you go above 25,000, now you have to have like full USDA inspection, all that kind of stuff. So it's a huge need. And dude, when it comes to like, I think the, mm, I've been thinking about one of the best sources of protein that everybody should have on hand is their own chickens. So think about this. If you have a chicken, if you have backyard chickens and you get a brooder, a brooder is like what helps you hatch. Well, brooders where you put the chickens in their hat, but you hatch them and put them in the brooder and you raise your own for your own family sustainability. And and this started coming to me because I was listening to a podcast where somebody was talking about their neighbor who is from another country and they don't eat frozen meat. Like to them, that's gross. Uh. 
Like they eat it fresh. You kill it, you cook it, and you eat it. And they said chickens, and I'm just like, they were talking about chickens. I'm like, how brilliant is that? They're easy to take care of. They don't need a ton of food. And when you're hungry, if you're ready to make dinner, just go out, take one of the chickens, get it ready, cook it. You've got dinner that night. And they're walking around. You don't have to have a freezer. So if there's a, if there's a grid breakdown, there's a grid breakdown. As long as you're feeding your chickens, you're good to go. Yep. So. Well, you're making a strong case for me to get into some chicken farming, uh, which would not be too hard to do here in Tennessee. There's a lot of chicken farms, a lot of them work for Tyson. Tyson's going to come back up later on the show. Great. Um, but, well, and you also mentioned chickens are great for regenerating the soil. So yeah. what I have prepared for us today is a little bit of a journey. Okay. This is a, this is a serious, fun style deconstruction show called Food for Thought. Uh, we're going to get a lot of great, authentic AJ reactions, which I appreciate. Okay. But the first place I want to start is I want to start, start talking about climate change and the messaging around climate change. So there's a lot of different forms of messaging and a lot of different ways that they're getting the messaging out. And one of the primary ways is news stories like the ones I'm going to play. Okay. Yep. So this is about a 40 second clip on a pretty standard news clip about climate change. If I can, uh, freaking, here we go. The UN's weather agency warned today that greenhouse gases in the atmosphere reached a record high in 2022 with no end in sight. New data showed average concentrations of carbon dioxide were 50% above pre-industrial levels for the first time. Methane and nitrous oxide were also higher, raising the odds of more extreme weather events. Practically the whole planet has seen an increase of uh, heat waves, uh, about half of the planet has been facing an increase of flooding events and one third of the planet has been facing an increase of drought events. And this negative trend will continue until 2060s. Pretty, pretty straightforward clip. Mm-hmm. Nothing that we haven't really heard before. CO2 levels are higher. Methane levels are higher. That's causing the climate to change. And the climate change is causing more extreme weather events that's where we're starting okay here's another one it's a similar report same uh news organization on methane okay meanwhile european union negotiators agreed today on a deal to lower methane emissions the bloc's energy sector would have to monitor report and take action on cutting emissions the deal still needs approval by the european parliament and executive council do you know anything about this one where, what a lot of the methane cutting, uh, methane cutting tactics are are centered. <clears throat> how they're centered, and and who they're centered on, how they intend to cut methane. Uh, maybe I, I mean I've there's as you're saying that like I'm I'm there's so much information like different angles of this whole meth like like for example at the plant we're making biochar out of our solid waste biochar can be fed to livestock and there's a 40% reduction in methane. I I could be off on that number. It's a high, it's, it's significant when it's added as a feed supplement. Right. So I've just got so many of these things. So what, what's, uh, what's on your mind? Let's dive into that. Cause well, the, um, in the Netherlands, they are really going after the farmers. Yes. And the ranchers. Yes. So the, uh, to the best of my ability to assess this, they want to remove a lot of the farmers. Mm-hmm. They want to gobble up the land and they want to turn that into 
basically residences. Yes. So they want to. It's a, it's a property play. It's a, yeah. it's a it's a property play. Dude. Okay. So if you yep. if you need to reduce methane, then you have a target. Who do we need to reduce the methane from? Oh, the people that are producing it. Let's get rid of all these cow farmers and let's gobble up their land. Or and a gobble up meaning either forcefully move them off their land or make them an offer they can't refuse. You know what I'm saying? Uh huh. And there's already plans to turn the center of the Netherlands into like a mega city. So if they already have plans, like a 15 minute city, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's probably going to be a mega city with a lot of like smaller 15 minute, you know, 15 minute communities built into it. Uh-huh, but my point uh-huh. is, is they actually just want to turn a lot of the rural land of the Netherlands into a mega city. So they already have intentions on how they're going to use the land. So which it, to me, it calls into the question, the mechanisms that they're using to get rid of the people that are currently on the land. Exactly. Yeah. So they got to have science and they got to like filter these uh, reports through the news to give you the impression that methane and CO2 are a problem. Yep. Okay. But they're also making, God, they're making, I'm just going to call it what it is. This is propaganda right oh, here. Exactly. You're about to hear some mega propaganda from an organization called science moms. This is 30 seconds and this is going to blow your mind. Okay. Great. If an entire neighborhood's worth of doctors told you your mole was cancerous, would you keep it? If an entire town's worth of mechanics said you need a new brakes, would you be like, man, I'm good. If an entire planet's worth of scientists agreed that climate change is real, would you ignore them? 99% of scientists agree. Climate change is here. It's man-made and we're running out of time to fix it. Protect your kids' future at sciencemoms.com. Do you know what else 99% of scientists agreed on in 2020? Tell me. Fuck off. COVID <laughs> and the vaccine? Like, I rarely swear in this podcast, but dude, we're talking about propaganda that so many people are going to hear that and they're going to be like, oh, that's true. Dude, 99% of the freaking scienti- scientists, I'm going to use air quotes, scientists said that the vaccine was what we needed. Or oh, let's let's even go... Even more stupid, masks and being six feet apart. You go down a grocery store and it says arrows that say you should only be walking this direction because it's too dangerous to pass somebody. Go, fuck off. That's mm-hmm. what I think about the scientists that they're referring to. Like, dude, science, COVID destroyed the credibility for any sane thinking person of anything that says trust the science. Like I believe in observational science far more than I will ever believe in anybody with a stupid ass degree that now has some diploma that says, oh, I studied this. Therefore, it is OK. When when here's here's something when you put out a report, you should accompany that report automatically with your donors. Let's do that. Let's make that the transparency. If you put out a report, you tell everybody who paid for that. Mm-hmm. I can agree with that. Now, what I hoped, first of all, this is exactly what I hoped would happen <laughs> today. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly what I hoped would happen. We got AJ in a, cow, in a, in a tinfoil hat reacting to my, my off, rea- I'm already swing. getting him started. Uh, let's see. Uh, normally, I, I save this button for Dave, but I feel like <laughs> this is a good one. Let's see if I can find it here. I've never been so irate in my whole fucking life. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that's AJ right now. I've never been so irate right in my whole right fucking now. life. That's me right now. So to deconstruct this a little bit further, I want to bring in some common sense. Yeah. AJ, 
Let me speak first on the CO2. Okay. Okay. So I was trying to find it while we were listening to that. And I'm, this is the problem with ADD, right? Like so much information and I don't know how to put it in the bucket so I can recall everything about the information, but I attended the Utah soil health summit, soil uh, health in the West conference two years ago. It was their first one. Second one, by the way, is this uh, February. Are we getting you out here for that? I can't remember if you, we were going to try to get, I'm available. Let's, we'll talk about it after the show. I would love to be there. Okay. Love to be there. So this first one, uh, they had a gentleman come out and talk about regenerative agriculture. And in his presentation, he showed uh, the measurement, you know, it's like the, the, the waving graphs that show the colors, you know, like they would do it with snowstorms and that kind of stuff to show you just over a map. So it was a global map and it showed the, the, the one year cycle of green of um, CO2 emissions in the atmosphere. And like this warming and cooling, right? Dark orange means there was a ton of CO2 and the blue colors meant there was no CO2. It was directly correlated with harvest, uh, uh, with tilling, the season of the the time of year when farmers till the ground. Why? Because when you till the ground, you release the carbon that the grass had stored. And it's an annual cycle. And he showed us multiple years on this graph. It, so it wasn't just one year. It was every, and it was the, it was, you could set your clock to it. They start tilling. We see an increase in CO2 in the atmosphere. When the plants are grown and got tall grasses right before, you know, and, and vegetation before harvesting, it was cool. Why? Because all of that vegetation was pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and storing it in the soil. So I buy it. Yeah. I buy it. I totally buy it. That's the science I trust. Why? Because they're also not trying to say, and we're going to take everything away from you. Yeah. No. Right. They're just trying to uh, deconstruct and give you some information. Yes. I can I'm. I can totally buy that. I haven't seen it. I haven't looked at it. I'm just saying it, it, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I'll find it and send it to you so you can put it in the podcast. Perfect. If that works. That that worked for me. What I, uh, so I, I'll, I'll just take your word for it for now. Can I, we'll put a, pin it, put a pin in it. Now, uh, Trust AJ, me, I'm wearing a tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> so AJ, finish this, uh, finish, finish this old, old saying, uh, that you heard when you were a kid, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you do it? Okay. Keep that in mind. If everybody jumped off a bridge, would you do it? I'm going to play that again. If an entire neighborhood's worth of doctors told you your mole was cancerous, would you keep it? If an entire town's worth of mechanics said you need a new brakes, would you be like, man, I'm good. If an entire planet's worth of scientists agreed that climate change is real, would you ignore them? I'm going to pause it right there, too. Now, this is the part where I feel like I can contribute the most value to this show. Mm. Perfect. Pay very close attention to the background noise in the remaining nine seconds of this clip. 99% of scientists agree. Climate change is here. It's man-made, and we're running out of time to fix it. Protect your kids' future at sciencemoms.com. Did you hear that? Is, is that a fire? It's a fire, and then somebody and at the end screaming. going, ah! What? So, in behavioral science... There is a word called nudging. I'll invite mm-hmm. you again. 
episode one of the Serious Fun Podcast if you would love a longer, more detailed, more uh, robust description, but in in the top down, just really easy to understand, in behavioral science, there's a term called nudging, and nudging is a way to subconsciously, psychologically nudge or bump you into a thought pattern or into a behavior oftentimes without your knowledge or consent. Sometimes it's something innocuous and not a big deal, and sometimes it's them playing the uh, uh, sounds like this behind. 99% of scientists agree. Climate change is here. It's man-made, and we're running out of time to fix it. Protect your kids' future at sciencemoms.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the way that they, the easiest way to nudge people is with words, sounds, and symbols. Yeah. Okay. So they're subconsciously priming you. The earth is on fire. Yep. Uh huh. And it's and and everybody agrees. So if you're not one of the people over here that agrees, what does that say about you? It says that you're stupid, that you're not getting along, and you're stupid, and you don't deserve to be listened to. You don't deserve to be listened to. Crazy. Now there's some even so that's it's working. Okay. <laughs> That's the thing that frustrates it's, me the it's, most is it is it's, working. It's working and it's working so well that you have people that have their own platforms like celebrities and like mm-hmm. Emma Thompson, who's an actress uh, who you've seen many in many uh, different yeah. you know movies and things. You might even recognize her voice. It gets people, very smart people. And, and even gets me, you know, like that, even though I, I know to look out for this stuff, it still catches me, but it really influences people that are emotionally attached to things. Part mm. of it is priming your emotion, getting you really upset about it. And then you stay, say stuff like this. My clips are just giving me fits today, but we'll try to. Hello, and welcome to the Extinction Rebellion Extreme Weather Warning. For those of you expecting a habitable future, we've got some pretty gloomy projections for you. Uh, Climate crisis trends show an increased chance of warmer, wetter winters and hotter, drier summers, along with an increase in the frequency and intensity of extremes. Better wrap up warm, stockpile food, and remember that there's a surprising amount of protein in the average household pet. Looking ahead, we're on course to sell past our 1.5 degree centigrade target, putting us on track for long-lasting and irreversible change. Anybody anybody catch the part where she tells you that your pets might be edible? They have a lot of good protein? Anybody miss that? Oh, the, the nudging's working. It's getting people to say insane stuff. Better wrap up warm, stockpile food, and remember that there's a surprising amount of protein in the average household pet. Good lord, dude. I mean, my goal is to have a few 1,200-pound pets cruising around my yard, so I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I buy into that. Yeah, it's a homestead pet. It's not a household pet. It's a homestead homestead pet. pet. Yeah. Hashtag homestead pets. I don't see what the big deal is. I just got a lot of homestead pets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. They're comfort comfort animals. (laughs) Comfort food. So the nudge is working and it's getting people of prominence to come out and say stuff. Yeah. Okay. But, and and what did that last, the clip before that say? 99.9% of scientists agree Here's part of the 0.1%. I'm bringing him back from the last yes. show. <laughs> God, 
damn it, these clips are so stupid. Now zooming in on the debate over climate issues, Nobel laureate John Clauser says all the major climate models are flawed and that there's no climate emergency. He sits down with American Thought Leaders host Yanya Kellogg to discuss. Dr. John Clauser won the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics for his contributions to quantum mechanics. In a recent episode of American Thought Leaders, he explains why he considers major climate models to be flawed. The IPCC has 40 different computer models, all of which are making predictions, and all of which are being quoted by the press as predicting a, a climate crisis apocalypse. The problem is they all are in total disagreement, violent disagreement with each other in their predictions, and not one of them is capable of predicting uh, retroactively, of predict, uh, explaining the history of the Earth's uh, climate for the last hundred years. So we have a Nobel Prize winner in physics saying, hey, none of the climate models have been either able to retroactively predict things that have already happened, and they certainly haven't been very accurate at predicting future things that can happen. Why? Clauser says all the major climate models fail to consider one key variable, the effect of clouds. He says the models are done with a cloud-free Earth when the real Earth is shrouded in clouds. The cloud cover fraction fluctuates uh, quite dramatically on daily, weekly time scales. We call this weather. <laughs> you can't have weather without having clouds. And it is this fluctuation in cloud cover of the earth that causes what I would refer to as sunlight reflectivity thermostat that controls the climate, controls the temperature of the earth, and stabilizes it uh, very powerfully and very dramatically. Freaking A. Sounds yeah. sounds like great news. Yeah. I'm gonna let him I'm gonna play part number three. Okay. Because well, I'm gonna play part number three. Klauser was one of two Nobel laureates to recently sign a declaration organized by the Clintel Foundation alongside sixteen hundred other scientists and professionals, stating there is no climate emergency. He says America's current climate policies are wasteful, misguided, and counterproductive. These geoengineering proposals uh, uh, are outrageously expensive, and they're totally ineffectual. There's no way you're going to have any effect. But, the okay, by surprise is that people are upset with what I, I'm giving, I believe, to be good news. The good news is we don't need to. Sounds like great news to me, right, AJ? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great news. And so even though they're saying it's a consensus, there's at least, at least 1,600 scientists out there, some of which are Nobel Prize winners that are saying, you know what? This isn't happening, or at least not happening the way that you say that it's happening. But you have all of the marketing and all of the nudging telling you this is inevitable. It's unquestionable. It's a consensus. If you were part, if 99.9% .9 of your doctors told you this and your mechanic told you that, and if, but when 99% of the scientists say this, you don't believe it. It's because mm -hmm. there's also the 0.1% that is not willing to jump off the cliff just because yep. everybody else is jumping off of it. 
Right. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Also reminds me of what I, what I was saying earlier, you know, the 99.9% of scientists and, and in some cases it sounded like doctors as well that said that, uh, COVID was a pandemic, which I even, I, I refuse to call COVID a pandemic. It's not. Because when you look at the actual pandemics that happened, I mean, those were devastating. That's my own two cents. But where I was going that with going with that is, what did the ninety nine point nine percent say didn't work during COVID? That was also a Nobel Prize winning solution. Ivermectin. For ivermectin. They said it was it was unsafe. Unsafe horse dewormer. Yeah. But won the Nobel Peace Prize before because of its because of what it could do and what it was for and how how helpful it was wins the Nobel Peace Prize and yet because it was in the way of the agenda just like this guy we're listening to clouds are in the way of the agenda so we're not going to measure those uh because fuck clouds and yeah. let's just sell it's people too, on the heating it's too rational uh too that rational. clouds could actually be causing the, like the weather could actually be mitigating yeah. a lot of the effects that they're that they're raising in labs and also one of the best places to hide uh, a lie is in the truth. And mm-hmm. when you say that carbon, you know, carbon emissions or carbon dioxide emissions are going up, but then when you actually look at the sample sizes, they might be in a harvest season where they're literally lifting all the carbon out of the soil because they're tilling. Yep. And, and so what I'm, what I'm getting at is the general narrative around climate change is that it is no doubt about it. It is definitely happening it's definitely happening and it's likely due to well they need to have a boogeyman which mm-hmm. we'll get to in a second um so it's it, they keep saying it's definitely happening and anybody that would say anything other than that is some crazy conspiracy theorist and you don't need to listen to them even if they're really accomplished in their field and they ha- right. and just because they have a dissenting opinion right okay I have another clip for you. This is about one. They said one of the answers to climate change. The real nugget of this is at the very end of the clip. However, to get there, it's kind of funny to get there. So I'm going to take us on a minute and ten uh, minute ten journey here. But the real gem is at the end, and that's the right. the, the real meat to chew on. The Perfect. food for thought. The food for thought. So. See- it helps. So this one second. So CNN's chief climate correspondent Bill Weir joins us. People don't care what you call it. If it's artificial whale poop or whatever, does it help in the fight against? Does it help? Change? It helps. So this is Sir David King. He was the UK's top science advisor for a decade. He runs the Center for Climate Repair at Cambridge, and I went there thinking they would have all these amazing ideas for new forms of energy or nuclear fusion. And their top ideas are artificial whale poop and spritzing yachts that will spray a fine mist in the air at the North Pole and refreeze the Arctic three months a year. Those those are their big ideas. But this marine biomass regeneration, we lost the ocean's fertilizer pumps when we killed 95% of the big baleen whales. They go down deep, they scoop up the nutrients, they poop them at the surface. That's what gives the oceans life. The oceans give us breath. And so thinking about how we t- tackle this trillion ton monster of excess carbon we call carbon godzilla in the hour people are coming at it from different ways some are building machines some want to use artificial whale poop which is really volcanic ash some think we've gone too far we've waited too long and we need to spray sunscreen in the sky to turn down the sun for a couple of years and buy us time so we get into all these big radical ideas 
big radical ideas like spraying sunscreen in the sky. Yeah, which Bill Gates is actively working on right now. I mean, that's not, I mean, I don't know if he calls it sunscreen in the sky, but that's essentially what they're trying to do. So I think it's probably here in the last four seconds. For a couple of years and buy us time. So we get into all these big radical ideas. We get into all of these big radical ideas to solve this problem because it's inevitable and it is definitely happening. Even though there is dissenting opinion and a lot of good evidence to suggest that it's not we're engaging in, I'll let this guy say it again. Bias time. So we get into all these big radical ideas. Radical ideas like this? We must accelerate climate justice by reforming the international financial system. As major shareholders of the multilateral development banks, I urge you to push them to coordinate their operations better and to overhaul their business models and approaches to risk in order to turbocharge climate action and sustainable development. Turbocharge. You have the power to ensure that they leverage their funds to mobilize much more private finance at reasonable cost to developing countries and that they end all support for fossil fuels. So one of the radical ideas is that actually, not only is this happening, we need to change the entire global finance and banking system to accommodate what is happening. Mm -hmm. You see? Yep. Listeners, do, do you see what is happening? The web is so... The, the 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 web they're spinning is so thick. I mean, it's because thick, dude. I mean, we wouldn't even uncover it all in a whole year of episode after episode of just I know, I know, I know. But that's why, you, really, what we need people listening to understand. First of all, if you're waiting for us to put out a show every week to become more educated, you're not going to get there fast enough. I also recognize we'll do, we'll do our darn best. We'll do yeah. our the old college try. Right. And I also recognize everybody's busy living their own lives, trying to figure out how to navigate the, inf- the inflation and the interest rates and all the things in your own world. I get that. And all of this sometimes can be on top of that. Like, I don't have to believe me. I get sent so many, I get sent so many different uh, theories I don't have time to chase them. I have to stay focused on the food supply chain. And I see truth in even just the little bit that I do get sent. But even inside of food or or food and climate, let's say, because they're essentially one and the same and they're especially one and the same now, right? How we produce our food and its impact on the climate. But then you got people talking about the ocean. Well, we don't even know a fraction of what the ocean's purpose and what it holds is. So I can't even speak on that, right? We do know that there are regenerative uh, farms in the seaweed business now, which is really cool because they are finding that they can sequester a lot of carbon in seaweed. So there's a lot of this movement happening there. But notice these are regenerative, holistic uh, practices, holistic being when they look at the problem. And this is what we're hearing in, in this one side versus the other, right? The side that I subscribe to says we need to look at nature as a whole and work to solve that in a holistic manner or operate in a holistic manner. The other side is focused on profit and control, and it's led by – I'm going to just use the term engineers only for the the point of making the, the point of 
the direct answer to the, the, the solution is a direct answer. In other words, oh, we have carbon in the air. I'm going to pump it in the ground. Like that's the engineering thought. If it's in the air, I got to put it in the ground. If well poop is gone, I'm going to make well poop. If, uh, you know, the CO2 is causing an issue, we're going to put sunscreen in the sky. Like that's not holistic. They're not looking, okay, what, what you, what other things are going to be negatively affected if you throw, you know, the sunscreen in the sky or fake well poop in the ocean or building a massive brick and mortar facility in the middle of nowhere that was untouched and now has this monstrosity pumping carbon out of the atmosphere. Or we talk about clouds. Every time an engineer tries to solve the problem, they break another, they break another portion of the whole. Let's talk about wind farms. I can't even go into it because again, that's another field of study that requires so much time. But what I can say is what I've briefly studied is that they're starting to now see that the wind farms are disrupting the natural air currents, which is disrupting our clouds, our, our rain cycles, because they're like, well, let's, we're, let's build big giant ass wind farms. So they're the, the, and, and the impact on the avian life in the area, I mean, they're devastating the birds. And, and so that was a solution for all this and it didn't work. I got a clip for this. All right wasn't prepared but i didn't have it for this show but uh another <laughs> uh, to, to your point the blades on massive wind turbines can be as long as a football field and strong as a linebacker they are designed not to break so when your job is to break them obviously it's tough julie angelo brought us to this quarry in louisiana missouri what is all this stuff this is our storage of windmill blades before we process them her company, Veolia, cuts used blades down to size and shreds them. Um, so this is our final product. Cement makers use it as fuel instead of burning coal, cutting planet-warming carbon emissions at the cement plant by nearly 30%. If you weren't recycling all of this, what would happen? What would or what also does happen, unfortunately, um, a lot of those end up in landfill. Most used windmill blades are buried in the ground because it's cheaper. A black eye for green energy. By 2050, the world's wind industry is expected to produce more than 47 million tons of blade waste each year. They just put them in the ground, dude. Dude, I'm telling people, go Google. If you're listening to this, go Google after the show. Don't leave the show. But after the show, go Google what happens to windmill blades and see the pictures of of massive pits in the ground dug by dozers and they just stack them up and bury them. I'm, I'm actually really encouraged to hear that somebody's working on a solution. I'm glad that you played that clip because I didn't know anybody had figured anything out yet. And if they're, you know, if they're reusing them and, and putting them in back into the, I'm like, okay, fine. I'm just saying that yeah. like a lot of the proposed solutions also have secondary and yeah. tertiary consequences that create a whole nother heap of problems when, yeah. Like our original scientist, uh, uh, the Nobel laureate, uh, science, uh, Nobel Prize winner, saying it's like, hey, this is really good news. We don't need to engage in such radical solutions because it's not as it's not a it's not a problem. Um, now, I'm not going to say that pollution itself isn't a problem, right? I think pollution is a problem. Yeah, mm -hmm. but but that's not the same thing as saying the Earth is on fire. 
Right. It's not the same thing as saying that you're just going to have devastating weather events. And if you don't change the entire global finance system and stop eating red meat, that the the world is going to collapse and your, your, your children are going to have no future. I'm, I'm willing to engage in the uh, Mm -hmm. conversation around pollution, you know, because the conservative movement of the seventies around saving our national parks, the conservative conservation it was because we were we, there was too much pollution. There was too mm-hmm. much littering. There was too much like I'm pro earth. I'm pro uh, health of the earth. Mm-hmm. I am skeptical of the things that they're pointing at and saying that's the problem. Okay, I don't think it's the cows. You know, I don't. I don't think it, it was cow burps that caused the oceans to be toxic. I think it was all of the waste that major industries and corporations pump directly into the ocean. Yeah. 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 They, you know, when, when, but don't, don't have them change their practices. You need to change what you're doing to solve the problem. Y'all, y'all are the issue. And, uh, yourself, what you say about others is who you really are. And that's part of the nudge is they keep saying who they are. Mm-hmm. In these advert, like they are contributing to these issues and they're wanting to pass the buck and inevitably it gets passed to the standard, the average citizen. Yeah, average that's right. Citizen. You, the, you, the person that eats meat or doesn't eat f- processed food with somebody's intellectual property, you're the problem. Yeah. And so because you're the problem, we need to, we need to create, uh, just like in COVID, you know, you're the problem if you didn't get vaccinated. I mean, TV hosts and people talking about that we should die because we chose not to get the vaccine. Like, that's some evil shit, man. And that was that was done. That psychological warfare was done to try to vilify anybody who didn't get in line um, and make you the problem. And it's happening again. It's I mean, it's always happened, but the, the, the control is getting that the social media messaging control is what's made that, that, that shift. Uh, let me just finish up a thought too, because it, it's relevant with the windmill conversation. I received a message from a follower, uh, that their husband is a fisherman on the East coast. And they were just told that they are not allowed to fish this year because there's not enough fish at age, whatever that industry, you know, looks like, but right on the back of that. So this whole fishery in the ocean that they've been fishing in has now been shut down to them, but it hasn't been shut down to a brand new offshore windmill farm. That's going to be installed in the same fishery. It had nothing to do with the fish and everything to do with them creating the problem making making them wrong you overfished this place so you're out oh but we're going to go install a bunch of of wind wind farms there you know they did the same thing to my family in 2014 when the government uh came after uh some of my family for their land but behind the scenes senator harry reed was acquiring the land so that he could give it to a chinese solar power corporation that's what was happening. So they, uh, and it was a long game that they were playing anyway. So I, I think people that are trying to solve the problem, there should be a, you know, it's going to happen, but it should be that, okay, go find the solution to the problem, but you must find the solution to the problem in working 
with nature. How can you engineer, let's call it engineer, how can you engineer a solution that involves the natural processes of nature to solve that problem? That's what regenerative agriculture is because it fixes the local water cycles because it fixes the soil health. So it creates more forage that creates more localized rain, which creates more grasses. And now you've reversed the desertification process and you've created more food and more water and a better environment for everybody involved. That sounds great, AJ, but I think we need to go with this from the Wall Street Journal instead. God, I'm having a freaking day. I don't know what is going on. Just, I'm Zoe happens. Thomas for the Wall Street Journal. This is a special episode of Tech News Briefing, part of our four-part series on climate tech. It's no secret the production of food, especially meat, releases a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. In fact, more than a third of global greenhouse gas emissions caused by human activity are directly related to our food supply chain, according to the United Nations. Lab-grown meat or cultivated meat could reduce that by growing the animal cells without growing the whole animal. Ah, wait, here's intentional with the language. This is why we de this is just a deconstruction. I'm I'm showing you the construction and I'm trying to break it down into smaller parts. Listen to the wording of the news report. Part of our four-part series on climate tech. Right here. It's no secret the production of food, especially meat, releases a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. It's no secret, AJ, yeah, that the production of this. meat, it's no secret that the production of meat releases carbon into the air. It's no secret. Mm. That implies so much in such a small phrase. It's no secret Meaning, if you don't believe that, you're 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 being lied to. Yep. Yes. One more can, time. Mm -hmm. One more time. The production of food. Uh. It's no secret. The production of food, especially meat, releases a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. In fact, more than a third of global greenhouse gas emissions caused by human activity are directly related to our food supply chain, according. Caused by human activity directly related to our food supply chain. The United Nations. According to the UN. Lab-grown meat or cultivated meat could reduce that by growing the animal cells without growing the whole animal. That sounds like a pretty radical solution to me. I don't know about you. Yep. <clears throat> we're getting into a lot of radical solutions that we're being nudged into believing. And I'm just telling you, somebody's going to make a gazillion dollars off of this idea. Oh, yeah. Off oh, of yeah. all of these ideas, off, mm -hmm. off of re, uh, re, retooling the global finance system, which is going to include some sort of carbon credit market, which is going to be another reason why bankers and major companies can go and rape and pillage Africa for their natural resources or their finance resources or both. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're presenting these things as if like these are matter of fact facts. It is no secret that food production, especially meat, is causing these problems. And don't worry, we got good solutions to it. And you also need to vilify the people that are out there making meat because they're contributing to this problem, which, according to that Nobel laureate, doesn't actually exist. <laughs> but we need to invest in all of these radical solutions in order to make them happen. We need to create new processed food. 
don't worry, this type of processed food will be clean, safe, and effective, nutritious, and delicious. So delicious that they're already starting it. Uh, I have a clip about Tyson, and then we'll go to our producer. We'll go to our producer break. This is this is tangentially related, and I think it's more priming. Tyson has reached an agreement for a two-fold investment with Protix. It's a leading global insect ingredients company. That investment will support the growth of the emerging insect ingredient industry and expand the use of insect ingredient solutions. Tyson and Protix also joining together for the operation and construction of an insect ingredient facility. Once that is complete, it'll be the first at-scale facility of its kind to upcycle food manufacturing byproducts into high quality insect proteins and lipids primarily to be used in the pet food uh, aquaculture and livestock industries for now yeah let me break this down for some people oh man okay good i was gonna just roll right into that producer segment it's all right it's all right it's cool it's cool it's cool they are building this in illinois and it's the largest insect protein facility in the world you kind of made a subtle nudge to like for now as the clip ended do you think that they're going to build that and then be done with just animals? No, they're positioning themselves. It's it's um, it's the tiptoe to tyranny. We're gonna we're gonna make it available for animals and other ingredients for now, and then you're gonna start seeing it show up in ingredients in your food. Now, do I know the totalitarian that, tiptoe? Exactly. Do I believe for do, do I personally have a belief that eating insects is bad for your health? No, I don't know enough about it, but I think I shouldn't have to eat them and I should know if it's in my food. So the other thing I wanted to mention about that in relation to do you know it's in your food, label laws are so manipulated and it's and it's kind of really who just has the relationship to get things pushed through USDA or FDA because they don't have to label that chicken was grown in a lab because it will be uh, it will affect the sales. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Everything that we are discussing, all of these campaigns, they're actually marketing. It's just marketing paid for by people. They're gearing up for man. I wish we had that kind of capital for a runway for from the farm because Same when here. it was live, holy shit, we'd be a billion dollar company at opening. It's because the people backing it, like Tyson, they're backing all of these early marketing campaigns years before it's even relevant, so that by the time it becomes comes around, you're primed for you're nudged to be like, oh, well, that's what it is. Oh, it's because you've been poisoned mentally with this information for two, three, four years before it even hit the plate. Now you've accepted it. You've been poisoned with a lot more than information. That's true. You've been <laughs> you've been poisoned, and we will talk about that after the Go producer break. Go for it. Oh, dear listener. Dear listener, this is our time where I... I get real close to my microphone and it just lets you know we appreciate you being here on the Feed the People podcast. And if you made it these 55 minutes, I know you are a dedicated listener 
And you must be getting a ton of value from this show. And so this is where we get to remind you about how this show works. We are using the value for value model, which means that we receive your time, your talent, and your treasure in the reciprocity of, for the value that we are creating with our time and with our talent. And so, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we have a talent donor. His name is Nate Baumgartner. We appreciate Nate. He also makes the little ditty for the producer segment that I just played. He also is our outro, so we appreciate Nate Baumgartner. We also appreciate our treasure donor, $250 from Utah Beef Producers. Shout out Utah Beef Producers. We greatly appreciate you, and we are thrilled to see that you all are making crazy good progress and are on time at the moment to hit that March deadline. And uh, one way or another, that's what it takes. It takes people voting with their dollars. Henry voted with his dollars and put his money where his mouth is, and we ask you to do the same thing. So if you are getting value from this podcast, you can visit givesendgo.com backslash feed the people, and you can donate directly to this show. You can also donate at Venmo or PayPal at brooks at seriousfund.io, brooks at seriousfund.io. That allows you to send us donations and have your name read out on the Serious Fund excuse me, on the Feed the People podcast. This is a serious fun production. This is the Feed the People podcast. And so if you would like to do that for anything up to $25, anywhere between a dollar and $25, we will say thank you and we will read your name. Anywhere between $25 and $100, we, you can leave a note and we will read it on the show. And if you just must, if you must be so kind, so generous to send us more than $100, you can send us a note or a vo voice note and we will play it on the show. And of course, for all the Brookins fans out there, if you send us over $100, we'll definitely request that Brooke read the note. <laughs> I'm just saying, she's agreed to it, okay? She was game. And she is missed today, but she had prior engagements. We knew about this well in advance, and AJ and I are doing our best. So thank you to all of the producers that are donating your time, your talent, and your treasure. Remember, this is your show, too. Send us some clips. Send us some, some threads to go down. And make sure you're curating the information just a little bit. Don't send us on a wild goose chase, or don't send us an Instagram clip that's got creepy priming noise behind it we don't want that we want we want to get it directly from the source just like our food shake the hand that informs you you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. shake the hand that for that 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 forms you informs you and so um we like to we like to play play some games here and uh, we're going to play one of our favorite games here and that game is known as bop or flop this one was pulled from Wave Lake. Uh, just so people know, there is a revolution happening where musicians are taking back control of their music. They're getting out of these centralized systems that are putting them, selling their music, essentially. These labels selling their their artists out by uh, making back behind the, you know, behind the door deals. What do you call those? Uh, backroom, backdoor deals with these, you know, streaming services in exchange for ownership of their company. Hey, we'll give you our music for a lot cheaper. You give us percentage of your company. And so a lot of musicians are getting sold out by their labels 
and they are going, what the heck? Uh, I got a million plays on this song, and you're telling me I made $300 from this? There's got to be a better way. And that better way is called Value for Value Music. There are people that are now giving away their time, their talent, and their treasure into the ecosystem, and we have found one of those artists. His name is Ryan Fonda, and he is our bopper flop for the day. So, AJ, one more time, I must ask you, is this a... Bop or flop? Dramatic pause. I flopped today. A little bit of a different sound. Just getting some variety here. Yep. Listen to me, maybe. Life's been crazy I've been feeling unwanted Pass these feelings around Maybe you'll just see me Maybe you'll just see me For the way I am Throw it all away I'm just a cat away throw it all away throw it all throw it all throw it all away these games keep playing never slowing down where is the crown how you feeling aj i like it it's good you got a bop on our hands it's a bop Ryan Fonda, Castaway. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan Fonda. Give him a little more airtime. We got a bop on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just a castaway. Throw it all away. I'm just a I can tell you there are definitely some uh, people and uh, some ideas that I would like to throw away. Yeah. <laughs> Many of which we played earlier in our show, but we have a couple of more clips lined up for the back end of this Feed the People podcast. This is some more food for thought. And shout out Ryan Fonda Castaway for offering us this beautiful value. You will be receiving a kind donation. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. Nice job, Ryan. Nice job, Ryan. Just hey, just trying to get some some sounds. I'm not really sure what you're feeling, so I'm just like, all right, I'm just gonna yeah. pull a song. I, I found it. I, I thought will, it to be boppy, and I just <clears throat> went went with it. Yeah, I will say for me personally, I wouldn't listen to that. It's mm-hmm. good. It's talented, mm-hmm. but it's not my genre. What is your genre? Um. Oh, dude, my play, my genre playlist is pretty diverse, but it's, it's, uh, uh, what would you call it? Like when I look on, when I look on Spotify, I look for like driving through the mountains. Right. So it's just like, it's a lot more folky and country for sure. That's, That's primarily what graces my music list. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's really like the regular listens for me, folk or 
uh, bluegrass or country, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but I also have a pretty diverse, you know, I, I love EDC and, um, uh, like house music. Mm-hmm. I'm into that too. Beautiful. I'll have it ready. And if you're a listener out there donating your time, take the extra step, rate this five stars, leave us a kind comment, share this with a friend. And if you are a potential talent donor, you want to have your music on bopper flop, email me brooks at serious Also, open invitation to just reach out brooks at seriousfun.io if you have somebody that you would like to donate like you have a friend hey my friend makes music i'd love to have him on your show just send them to us we'll play them and we'll have a good time doing it we want this to be your show too and uh aj i brooke when she's available most times are going to be out here informing educating and entertaining and so we intend to continue doing that so remember you can send us notes Tell us what kind of music you like. Tell us what kind of music genres you'd like to hear on Bopper Flop. I promise, I'm a good, I'm a, I'm a very accommodating producer, and I will do my best to accommodate you. So, uh, that is the producer segment of the Feed the People podcast, episode eleven. Thank you one more time to all of the people that go into making this show happen. We deeply appreciate it. Yeah, I want to give a shout out real quick to somebody. There is a we talked about him before, but. It, they keep coming in strong. Uh, Morgan H is a donor. I reached out to Morgan. They've, they've been uh, donating <clears throat> to the Give, Send, Co- Go campaign to get the podcast up and running from the beginning. 50 bucks a month. It's a reoccurring. And I reached out to him. What? Yep. Oh. I reached out to thank him, and they uh, got back. And actually, they're also a producer. So I was, they're a double down producer. They're producing this show and they're producing food. That's freaking shout out to you, Morgan H. Yeah. Morgan H. So grateful. Um, and, uh, one, when I can connect with Morgan and learn a little bit more about their operation, we'll make sure you guys know, and maybe we can give back to him by sending, sending some consumers his way. Love that. Yeah, definitely love that. And shout out Morgan H. Thank you for stepping into that. I uh, I didn't know we had Morgan H. on the recurring. That's an amazing yeah. opportunity to just hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You can get on a a, a small-ish donation and, and put it on recurring. Yeah. We'd love that. That's how this show can be. So you can support this show directly with your dollars. We'll say it 5,000 more times before the show ends up shuffling off into its own mortal coil of, of usefulness. You know, you vote with your dollars. And if you're voting for this show, we deeply appreciate it. That's right. So where we left off is that uh, there's a problem. It's called climate change, and it's directly related to the food supply chain. And there's no other potential science or information that could possibly derail the fact that it, it's happening. 99.9% of, of scientists say it's happening, so it must be happening. Don't ign- Please dismiss the other 0.1%, even if they're really smart. And trust us, we need to change the way you eat and we need to change the global finance system and we need to get you onto some of our delicious nutritious processed solutions but the problem hold on let's rephrase that problem real quick uh-huh. the problem is not climate change yeah. the promise is the pro- problem is terrorist organizations and their scientist cronies huh. That's the problem. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. If you couldn't tell, I was being sarcastic. AJ oh, just went ahead and named it, which is the truth. I, I am being clear. sarcastic. Uh, <laughs> and yes, I want to make sure that we're abundantly clear. I, I don't believe what I'm saying. 
about those things. I'm, I'm yep. doing it tongue in cheek. I believe that there really isn't a problem, but there's people that see that there's a lot of money to be made off of this uh, alleged problem. And if you can nudge people into ways of thinking and ways of being, you can really make a lot of money. And one of the ways that they're doing that is by attacking natural food and trying to replace it with hyper-processed food, i.e. junk food. And according to PBS NewsHour, there's a problem with that. Mm. (laughs) The food we eat affects us in many ways. Eating a lot of highly processed foods has been shown to increase the risk of cancer, stroke, and heart disease. But what about mental health? Allie Rogan takes a deeper look at new research into that question. A recent study from Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School finds a link between ultra-processed foods and depression. It found a nearly 50% increase in the risk of depression for those who consumed nine portions or more of ultra-processed foods a day. Researchers also observed that foods and drinks containing artificial sweeteners could increase the incidence of depression. The study observed the eating habits and mental health status of more than 31,000 middle-aged, mostly white women for nearly 15 years. Olivia Okereke worked on the study and is an associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Olivia, thank you so much for joining us. Where did the idea to study this connection come from? Well, depression we know is one of the leading causes of disability worldwide. There are hundreds of millions of people affected by depression, and so we need to identify ways to prevent it, to modify the risk. And diet is one of those things that people can readily modify. So we wanted to look at an important dietary factor in this case, the frequency of consumption of processed foods. If we looked at all of these ultra-processed foods combined, that a higher number of servings of these, nine or more compared to four or fewer per day, were related to this increased risk of depression. But there were certain types of processed foods that had a particularly high risk. So the artificially sweetened beverages in particular, we saw had an increased risk of depression. That checks out. Yeah, for sure. How many clients have you worked with that experienced depression, anxiety, and you dig in a little bit and they eat processed food? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So you may hear that and go, oh, they said you got to have nine servings or more per day for it to impact you. Okay, well, uh, 17 Cheez-Its is one serving. Yeah, (laughs) so if you ate a box. (laughs) Or you had a handful. You probably had more. You probably had two. Yeah, you know, that's and that's right. that's just so it's easy to accrue nine servings of highly processed food. That's kind yeah. of their, their whole thing is you eat way more than the serving size because yeah. you're not satiated because you're not eating real food. You're eating literal junk food. It's not actual food. And to me, this is a much more tangible and real problem than climate change could ever mm-hmm. want to be. Mm-hmm. This is real observable in your face, there are, with all due respect, fat people everywhere in the United States. There are depressed and anxious people everywhere in the United States and around the world. This is this is a real problem that's yeah. being caused directly by the same organizations and institutions that are offering you the solutions to the problem that they're telling you is the problem. 
Yeah. Okay. It's the classic problem reaction solution type of reaction. Okay. Oh, there's a problem. You're going to react this way. And don't worry, we already have the solution right behind that. You know, climate change is a problem. Oh my God. Reaction. Climate change is a problem. Don't worry. We got bug burgers and we got lab grown meat and we got, we're going to change the finance system and we're going to put you in 15 minute cities and we're going to send you universal basic income to your central bank digital currency. And you won't even have to leave your house. We can send you all the Ubers you need. We can send you all the Uber eats you need. We can get you uh, sorted out with video games and drugs directly to you. All you got to do is log in to our new app and, and talk with one of our telehealth experts and they'll send you some antidepressants and some GL, uh, you know, uh, A1C medication. You don't even need to go see a doctor. All of this is part of the same thick web that AJ was describing. Yep. Very thick, thick web. Yeah, because when you if you start peeling it apart, you find out that, well, if I can make your micro gut biome sick and it affects your mental status, and then I can come in like you're saying with all these special solutions you're not in a mental state to really push back or question or consider you're kind of in fight or flight where it's like, just save me. I can barely function. And so anybody that shows up to you that isn't going to take away what the addiction wants, which is the processed and the sugars and those kinds of things. Like here's, here's your Ozempic to manage the shit you're eating. So you can keep eating the stuff that your body is craving because of, addiction. And they're also, those same companies are producing new studies, i.e. the science yes. that are, that are claiming, Hey, by the way, there's also the, all these added benefits to our medicine. Like you're lowering your risk of heart disease. You're lowering your risk of cardiac arrest. Like there hasn't been a huge spike in cardiac arrest in the last two years. I wonder why, but don't worry. The same companies that sold you the thing that's probably causing those heart issues they happen to be making the solution to the problem, which is yep. we have these uh, A1 uh, companies like or brands like Ozempic are paying uh, uh, the companies that own that those brands are paying for studies that show that it's good for all these other problems that happen to be very prevalent right 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 now. And uh, yeah, man, it's. It's a problem, uh, to yeah. say the least. And so I do. I have two more clips around this. I just want to clear the deck off of this so we can. Uh, so this is about another minute we and a half. Let's just break down really quick. What are the reasons why processed food is so bad for us? So we know that processed foods involve adding artificial flavorings, preservatives, sweetening. They sometimes involve modification to the food itself, stripping it of some of its nutrient components. The other thing is that the chemicals involved in ultraprocessing of foods also may be unhealthful. So we think that they may be triggering some unhealthy biological processes that are the same things that could be predisposing to depression. And of course, there are a number of different risks when it comes to depression. There's family history. How are you able to rule out that participants in this study were not experiencing one of those other risk factors? Well, there's a couple of things that we do. So the first is that we make sure that at the start of following up the participants, that they're not affected by depression already. So we're really looking to what we call 
incident depression. That means the person is developing depression during the follow-up. And then the second thing that we do is we look at a whole range of other factors that may correlate with diet. So things like smoking, physical activity, there's a whole range of these factors and they're all very carefully measured in these same women. I'm just going to roll to the last one and then we'll discuss it. And then we only got one more clip. Perfect. Talking about, it's an existing observational study. It's called the Nurses Health Study. And you make clear in the study the limitations of this cohort because it's primarily, as we said, middle-aged white women. What are the drawbacks of such a limited cohort? Well, one of the strengths is that it's very large. These women have been followed for nearly 50 years. And so we know a lot about a whole range of factors. And that's critical for doing careful analyses. Of course, there aren't any men. Um, and it may not be as diverse as we see in other cohorts. And so that is a limitation. And that means if there's a stronger association, for example, of these ultra-processed foods and depression risk among young people or among other groups in the population, we won't really be able to say anything about that. And that really leads to my next. But we will because we're a podcast and we can talk about whatever we want. Yeah. And it's a big yeah. assumption that uh, just because it wasn't studied that it doesn't ap- apply. And that's and to its benefit. That's how broad general science needs to happen. It, you need to be able to repeat it over and over and over again. And when you're uh, creating a test, that means that you actually have to repeat the test. And that would mean that you need to get a cohort that's very similar to this one. So I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying we can talk about it. Question, which is how clear is the the link between ultra processed foods and mental health right now? And what sort of additional study needs to be conducted? So one of the strengths of this particular study is that there really weren't prior studies of this type. So we've alerted people to this potential issue. And so some of the next steps are the following. The first is to look at a broader sample of people. So for example, other studies that have data on diet and on depression, but maybe more diverse in terms of age ranges, gender, racial or ethnic ethnic backgrounds. Another type of follow-up that can be done is to try to understand the mechanisms. For example, ultra-processed foods may increase inflammation in the body. They may cause metabolic changes in the body that are the same things that we suspect are related to risk of depression. But additional studies to probe those mechanisms can also be done. They could be done, but they may not be done because that's pretty problematic to be able to say authoritatively uh, that processed foods are related and are causing all of these uh, health issues. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars to influence the science the other way as it is. So why would they? I mean, the the research on sugar was bought and paid for by the sugar industry. You know, there's we the, there's evidence amongst all of these different programs that influence the American diet today that was all done under false pretenses by the companies that wanted to benefit from them. And many people don't know. And if you listen to the Serious Fun podcast, you would know these things. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Episode three. It's fair to say that in the eighties. Many of the largest food processors in the United States, i.e. Kraft and General Foods, were bought by tobacco companies. Yeah. And they started cutting the food and adding artificial 
chemicals in it that started making people sick just like they did with cigarettes and they started the same gambit over again. Push it, pu- push it back with, by creating alternative science and facts that keep a certain amount of ambiguity in their truth for as long as possible, for as long as you can push this game out. And it doesn't matter how many times you get sued. You, you, you just, you're still making money. So you're doing it that way. So there's, there's so many layers to this that people, that the average person just doesn't have the time to unpack, but that's why we exist. And we hope you're Mm -hmm. getting that good value out of that. Yeah. Tobacco companies. Uh, so that, that, that that should tell you a lot right there. Yeah, plant-based meat, lab-grown meat, uh, you know, cell cellular-based yeah, cultivated meat, which meat. is the lab. Mm-hmm. It's all processed. Now, we've already heard from, uh, and I uh, would meat. even go as far to say it's hyper-processed. That's what, that's exactly like Beyond Meat. They just came out. We I think we talked about it on the show. You know, one of the earlier shows. We are no longer uh, marketing ourselves as sustainable and healthy. Why? Because nobody paid for that bullshit because the people that care about sustainability and health know better. They're doing the research. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They they know better. So it, it was a flop for them for sure. And so now they have repositioned who they are and they are a comfort wellness food. Well, all that means is they're going to do all their same things that the tobacco companies have done to add ingredients to where you just can't live without it, but it is not good for you. And I promise you the other companies will follow suit. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they need you to spend money on their product. And the only way that they can do that is to make it addicting. One of the uh, possible, mm, I'll just be dramatic and say villains one of the mm. possible villains in this whole story is actually chemical companies, the people mm. who are create, who, the people who supply the raw material. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are very likely to be the unnamed, unmasked boogeyman because nobody's paying attention to big chemical companies, mm. but they're at the root of big pharma, big food, big ag, like. It's they're the chemical suppliers are actually the real people behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and there's uh, I haven't deconstructed this yet, but the Rockefellers and the oil tycoons were the ones who started engaging in petroleum based pharmaceuticals. Mm. And then okay. so that created the allopathic versus uh, homeopathic split uh, and allopathy, uh, i.e. the like the modern medical system received the majority of the funding by organizations like Rockefeller Foundation because they were going to be supplying the solutions to the problem. Problem, reaction, solution. Create the problem uh, and create the solution that will inevitably come to respond to the reaction. And so if you want to know why uh, homeopathy got such a bad rap, look no further than the industrial institutionalists Use the marketing nudge machine to mm-hmm. supplant in your to put in your mind that this is good and this is bad. And if you're over here, you're a woo-woo weirdo. And if you're over here, then you trust the science and you're a good citizen and you're really smart and you're part of the 99.9%. So this is not new. I just want people to know this. This is not new. The tools are new. The reach is new. Social media, the exchange of information being immediate, the way that you can get people spun up, immediate. I'm going to go ahead and throw TikTok in there. And... Because it's immediate 
it's happening almost like a blitzkrieg. This is like blitzkrieg nudging. They're doing it hard and fast, mm-hmm. and it's creating it's creating people like this for our final clip. And I just saved this for the end because this shit cracks me up. Oh, we got a fucking yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I will figure out what this is because this has never happened before. But no, it it's hasn't. creating people like this. Another great question this person is asking if there is any time in which intentional weight loss is not fat phobic. I'm going to say 99.9% of the time. There's that number. If you are intentionally losing weight, it is fat phobic. I'm leaving cool. that point little 0.1%. In case I am truly, truly wrong, but I don't think I am. <laughs> Let me ask you a question because you're really good at breaking down language. Yeah. What does it mean to be fat phobic? Like, you what sh- would that definition be? Listen to episode four of the Serious Fun podcast <laughs> called Super Fat. And we'll talk about it. But it's a phobia of fatness. And I make a very strong case, AJ, in that episode that we should be fearful of being fat, of fatness. I have a fat phobia. And I don't say individuals who are fat. You shouldn't be afraid of them. I'm not afraid no. of fat people, but I'm no. afraid of fatness. Yeah. I, have I a, am I afraid have of fatness. Phobia. And people I, should be afraid of fatness. Yeah. It creates yeah. a massive problem. And it's actually the core root of the potential economic time bomb that is the insurance industry linked with the pharmaceutical industry, with the medical mm-hmm. industry and all these things. So. Listen yeah, to that episode down, if you want to. We are 450,000, I think, 490,000 members of our army. Now, there's a lot of things that contributed to that, but a major contribution is that people can't qualify that would like to be in because they're overweight. And that is due to the food supply chain. So we should all have a fat phobia because we have a weak military. And that is one of, now there's a lot more going on there, but that is one of the major purposes, uh, problems is that people that would like to get in, they can't qualify. They can't get in. And it's because they're being poisoned. I'm just going to tell you now a lot of, ultimately we are, oh dear listener. Here's that voice again. (laughs) Oh dear listener. At the end of the day, this is some food for thought for you. You're responsible for your health. You're responsible for where, what you put in your mouth. You're responsible for where you buy your food. And yes, the odds are stacked against you. They are. But you're responsible for it. And I don't want to be the person that shames you. I want to be the person that informs you, educates you, and entertains you enough to make those changes on your own. Because I believe in you. I believe in the United States. I believe that when informed and educated and a little bit entertained, we will make better choices. That's why we do what we do. That's why this podcast exists. That's why I do the Serious Fun podcast. That's why we say, shake the hand that feeds you. This is actually the path out of so many things that are inflicting the United States and the globe. If you shook the hand that feeds you, you're so less likely to be overweight. You just are. You're so less likely to be influenced and nudged by the marketing. They're saying that these people are contributing to climate change and they're the problem. Get the heck out of here. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're overweight and you were offended by this at the end, let me just tell you that myself, Brooks and Brooke have significant fitness backgrounds in coaching people on how to transform their life. I I ran the coaching division for a gentleman named Chris Powell who had a TV show called Extreme Makeover Weight Loss. And we had hundreds of people in our program that were obese, overweight or obese, and some significantly obese. The 
coaching that was done was focused around education because they were in a, the, the position they were in, they were in because they lacked the knowledge of what got them into that position in the first place. Primarily, it's around past trauma that's been un, uh, that hasn't been uncovered. And so comfort food feels it's an addiction, just like going to alcohol, going to drugs, going to sex, whatever that is. Food is the same thing. So when you hear us talk about this, we are not belittling you or judging you. No. If you choose to feel that way, that's your choice. All What we're trying to say is this, we have to speak directly for it. This is a problem. The other side is making it okay. They're, they're you know. They're taking advantage things. of you. They're abusing you. you. They're abusing yeah. you with nudges like the video we played with the fire and the scream in the back. You just didn't exactly. hear it. That's right. So That's right. It, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. 100%. And that is some food for thought. Thank you, AJ. Appreciate you, brother. Any My final best. words? Only, as always, shake the hand that feeds you. And we will be back for episode 12 next week. See you there.